we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Glad to be with you today. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. It's good to be with you. This is an honor and a privilege to host this one-hour show each weekday on American Family Radio, and you can hear a best of of this program each Saturday as well on the network, American Family Radio Network. We're a nationwide uh, Christian nonprofit radio network. We operate um, upwards of 179 to 180 radio stations, FM radio stations across the country. And we also have our online uh, options available. Should you want to live stream the program, you can do that by visiting our website, AFR.net. You can also download our app. Our app is free to download. Uh, there's no gimmicks, no tricks. It's, it's literally free to download, and you can listen at your convenience, whether it be live or catching the show uh, later at your convenience. You can listen to that at your when you decide to do that by downloading the app. I am on a couple different platforms. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Parler, and I'm on Gitter, G-E-T-T-R, um, is the name of that latest platform uh, that has been published and is online. So I'm on a couple different places. If you want to follow me and keep up with what's going on, I post a lot of my news stories that I talk about on the show. I post them on my different show pages. And lastly, before we jump right into the show, we have, uh, we're live streaming the video on our American Family Radio Facebook and YouTube channel. So you can go to those two places and watch the show if you want to do that live and also watch it after we finish recording here. Our verse of the week, our scripture memorization of the week, is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's directly out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10. Some of our core values here at AFA, let me just read a couple of them. I'll read all of them. These are our six core values that drive what we do here at American Family Association and American Family Radio. Evangelism and discipleship, marriage and family, those are two core values. Evangelism and discipleship is one core value. Marriage and family is our second core value. Morality, and when we're talking about morality, we're talking about biblical morality, what God says about uh, our lives and how we should conduct ourselves, sanctity of human life, stewardship, and religious liberty. Those are our six core values here at American Family Association and American Family Radio. The story I talked about yesterday out of Breitbart.com, these were Joe Biden's 10 worst lies or misinformation. I only got to five or six of them. But I did follow through, and I did just a few minutes ago post this on my Twitter, my parlor, and my other different platforms that I'm on, my different pages. I posted a link to this story so you can go and read it for yourself. I told you I would do that yesterday, so I just went ahead and followed through on that. So you can read those uh, those 10 uh, whoppers that uh, Joe Biden has told within the last 10 to 12 months. I've got a good news story 
And this is this is very encouraging. Uh, this is out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There's a university there, a Christian university. This is the first I've heard of them. Um, a, a Christian university there called Karn University, C-A-I-R-N. I may be mispronouncing that. Karn University. And it ended its, I'm reading directly from Campus Reform here, campusreform.org. A Karn University ended its social work program last month after its accreditation body, the Council on Social Work Education, advanced leftist standards that contradicted Christian teachings. This university, this Christian university, is a non-denominational Christian university outside of Philadelphia. It closed down its social work program in part because the council, this accreditation council, was, in the administration's view, pushing a, quote, a set of critical theory and intersectionality assumptions and values inconsistent with our biblical view of humanity, human nature, and the world. This is according to the Associated Press, but it was published on the campusreform.org website. So this university there in Philadelphia, they said, we're not bowing the knee. We're not capitulating. We're not, we're not partnering on this program with this accreditation, uh, this secular accreditation program, if they're going to force us to capitulate and to, to violate our biblically held uh, beliefs. So good for them standing up. And this comes at a cost. You know, they're having to end, this university is having to end this social work program because the accreditation uh, pro, uh, accreditation party, the third party there, is wanting to put uh, regulations and policies in place that uh, cause this uh, Christian university some concern there. So that might, see, might be a lawsuit that we track in the coming months where uh, that university goes to court to be able to keep that program and keep their beliefs. That should be how America works, right? Because we have this thing called a First Amendment, and we should allow universities, uh, private universities, to operate according to their beliefs and not be deplatformed or canceled from society, as we see happen over and over again. I want to circle back from yesterday, and that that uh, that phrase, circle back, has just been completely uh, hijacked by Jen Psaki so, to such extent where uh, when I say it, people laugh out loud. But I'm going to revisit, rather, uh, the stories from yesterday about the Democrats uh, really being responsible for some of this vaccine hesitancy. And let me just be clear. Uh, when I'm covering this topic here in the next 10 minutes, uh, I'm not bashing the vaccine. I'm not criticizing the vaccine. If people want to get vaccinated, it's America, and they have the right to do so. And they can study, they can talk to their doctor, and they can make their own rational decision about whether it is it is good for them, proper for them, to get vaccinated or to not get vaccinated. Uh, I just want to make that clear on the front end. But the angle I'm going at here is not about whether the vaccine's good or bad, um, but it's more about the way the way people are being treated who have questions. The way people are being treated that simply have questions. And I'm going to go through a few examples. I'm going to play a clip here first. Um, this, is, this is the White House yesterday. This is a White House spokesperson on a, a major mainstream media outlet talking about one of the main issues at hand is how people are spreading uh, misinformation about the vaccine being rushed and how that's causing vaccine hesitancy. Let's listen to clip two. This is the White House. Everybody bears responsibility to ensure that we are not 
providing people with bad information about a vaccine that will save their lives. I mean, really, that's when we get right down to it. That's the issue. If the vaccine will save your life, you should get it. You should encourage your friends and family to get it. It's safe. You know, one of the pieces of misinformation that's out there is this idea that the vaccine was rushed through. It is actually based on decades of research. And now 300 million doses have been administered. So we're seeing in real time that it is safe and that it's protecting people. So President Biden is going to continue to make that case very forcefully. All right. So the reason I played that and the, the latter part of that clip is what I want you to pull away from that. Uh, the latter part of that clip where the White House spokesperson basically says that one of the one of the, the issues going on is that there is vaccine hesitancy because there is misinformation about how the vaccine was rushed. Well, let's look at people who have talked about the vaccine being rushed. And I really don't think, well, let me just say definitively, it is not irrational to have concerns about the speed at which the vaccine was produced. Because after all, the, the vaccines are still being administered and distributed under an emergency use authorization. Means that the FDA and the other agencies that approve these uh, medicines or these treatments, they had to use emergency procedures that do go along faster than your standard procedure to approve this. And so it is not inaccurate to say that this is still an an experimental uh, shot but this, uh, this is out of CNN. This goes back to the Trump administration. This goes back to September 1st of 2020. Goes back to the Trump administration a couple months before the election here. Listen to this headline out of CNN.com. Quote, past vaccine disasters show why rushing a coronavirus vaccine now would be, quote, unquote, colossally stupid. End quote. That's coming from CNN. Once again, here's their headline. Past vaccine disasters show why rushing a coronavirus vaccine now would be colossally stupid. That's not my words. That's coming directly from CNN. And that that, that headline right there, if I were someone considering the vaccine, that would concern me. That would cause what the media and the Democrats are now calling vaccine hesitancy. That's coming from CNN, not from Donald Trump. Not from some conservatives. That's coming from CNN. I have other examples here. Let's play clip three. Uh, this is the vice president, Kamala Harris, saying that if, if it's the Trump vaccine, she's not going to take it. Clip three. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors... Tell us that we should take it. I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Well, there you have it. That was during the campaign trail. And the, the, the senator there, the then senator, said if it's the Trump vaccine, if he tells me to take it, well, I'm not going to take it. Well, don't you think that causes people to be concerned? Well, why is this candidate for the vice, president's, uh, vice presidential position saying that? Why would she say such? Knowing that this is not, folks, uh, to call this a Trump vaccine, what she just basically did, is not accurate. He's, he was the commander-in-chief. There are hundreds, literally probably if not thousands, of people under the president in these agencies and these uh, uh, private companies producing these vaccines. 
that are all going through through their regular processes in order to, to get this thing made. And so to, to call this the Trump vaccine is is not necessarily accurate, not necessarily fair. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of scientists and doctors putting these vaccines together. Uh, but that that's another example of Democrats really pushing vaccine hesitancy. And it shows that that these that, that, that too often, both Republicans and Democrats, they simply take positions for political purposes. Why else would you criticize the vaccine? Unless you're trying to use it for political purposes, and then all of a sudden, Joe Biden won, or Joe Biden was inaugurated, and then all of a sudden, the vaccine is the latest and greatest development. You know why they did that? And I'm going to read into the mind of Kamala Harris and others. One of the reasons I believe that they were talking like that, talking derogatory and negative towards the vaccine before Joe Biden was inaugurated and even before the election is because they were prepping themselves. They were setting themselves up. Should Donald Trump have won and been inaugurated for a second term, what were the Democrats in the media going to do? They were going to spend the next 12 to 24 months talking about how bad the vaccine was about how it was rushed and it can't be trusted and it's the Trump vaccine and we can't take that right because he pressured the scientists to approve a vaccine that is not safe and not effective. And then all of a sudden things change and uh, Joe Biden gets in the White House and now uh, the vaccine is the latest and the greatest. The This is from September, another September article from Newsweek.com. And I'm just going to read directly from this. On September 24, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said the state will independently review all vaccine authorized by the federal government. All vaccines authorized by the federal government. Quote, this is from Andrew Cuomo. Quote, frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion. And he goes on to basically criticize and raise doubts about the vaccine process, the vaccine approval process. And so for the media, for the Democrats, and for others to think that it's it's these Republicans, it's these conservatives out there that are causing all the misinformation about vaccines, they themselves started this. They themselves started this about 10 months ago, raising questions about the vaccine. So when they apologize, then maybe others will apologize. We'll be back in a few minutes. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Nigeria once said to me, you know, America has sent more missionaries into the world than any other nation before it. But the nation that once sent missionaries has now become the mission field. As you consider the calling God has for you, I just want to remind you, that just as other nations need missionaries, we need missionaries in America, too. There are a lot of neighborhoods right here in our country that desperately need evangelism and discipleship. Let's not forget about them. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Dr. Richard Land, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Welcome to Bringing Every Thought Captive. Pew Research polls reveal a precipitous and accelerating decline in the number of Americans who identify themselves as Christians. Pew's Religious Landscape Survey, which is the most popular survey of its kind, has revealed over the last few years that the number of Americans 18 and older who describe themselves as, quote, Christians has dropped almost 10 points since 2010, from about 78% to just under 70%. At the same time, the percentage of Americans who identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated has grown between 22 and 23%, which is almost a quarter of the population. The drop in Christian identification comes from mainly the continued decline of mainline Protestants, who are down almost four points, and Roman Catholics, who are down a little over three points. The two Christian groups that declined the least in terms of percentage of the population were evangelicals, who were down 9%, and historically black churches, which were down 4%. In fact, in absolute terms, as compared to a percentage of the population, Evangelical Protestants and historically black churches have actually grown over the last seven years. Evangelicals by over 2 million and historically black churches by 200,000. They are growing, but not as fast as the general population is growing. And this is magnified by the fact that unaffiliateds grew by 6.8% over the last seven years. So in absolute percentages, evangelical Protestants are number one in America with 25.4% of Americans. The unaffiliated are second at 23%. Roman Catholics are third at 20.8%, and then mainline Protestants bring up the rear with 14.7%. This reflects a radically changing, more divisive, more secular America that is desperately in need of evangelism and apologetics and of Christians contending for their faith in the secular arena in the public square. More about this tomorrow. This is Richard Land. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the second segment of AFA at the Core. I've been mentioning over and over again about our resource center, our resource center where we offer all kinds of resources for yourselves, for your family, for your Sunday school, for your church, and uh, all of this aimed at at biblical worldview training, at bringing awareness to the core values here that we care about at AFA. One of our latest uh, releases is a book by Joy Lucius. Joy Lucius is a staff writer here for the AFA Journal, and she's authored this book, um, really going back to the Holocaust and telling the story of two sisters, or a set of sisters. So, Joy, tell us a little bit about the book. Well, first, Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you, and I'm so excited. But I have to say that I have been quoting your scripture all morning. Good. <laughs> I will not fear. <laughs> I will trust him to hold me while I do this. But I'm so excited. This has been a two-year project, and um, it has really been a miraculous event in my life, probably one of the most miraculous. It is a Holocaust story about two real-life girls from France, uh, sisters, young sisters, uh, intertwined into a fictional story about two modern-day sisters from North Mississippi, of course, mm-hmm. and um, how they come to learn about each other. Yeah. Yeah, and some of your endorsements, you know, you have some great endorsements <laughs> here. And the name of the book, by the way, is Priceless Pennies, Rose and Odette, Unknown Children of the Holocaust by our author that we have in studio <laughs> with us, Julia Lucius. And you know, the, I, I would agree with Dr. Michael Brown and others who endorsed the book about, 
you know, the Holocaust, the story of the Holocaust and the history of it, um, seems like every generation that goes by from what I read, it, you know, it gets lost. So yeah. I think it, it's so important. And talk a little bit about the importance of not forgetting what happened. Well, throughout time, wise men have told us if we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it. And I think we see that even now with the growing anti-Semitism in America, even in our churches. Uh, it's almost unbelievable to me. I was a public school teacher for 23 years, and then I had the awesome um kind of like uh, the added blessing after retirement to get to come and work here at, uh, and write for the AFA Journal. And I always loved teaching my children of about the past, about history, but I always had a special place in my heart for Holocaust stories, probably because I was raised, like you, very conservative, very um, biblical-based home. And we were taught from early on that just like God told um, the father of Israel before he was even called Abraham, he told him, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so I learned that early on and I wanted my students to learn that. Um, But I really feel an urgency right now, Walker, because I believe that our students are losing that truth and that we may uh, if we're not real careful, be doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And this time it might not just be the Jews. It may be the Jews and their Christian friends. Yeah, you know, and you're not you're not over exaggerating that no. because when you look at look at the state of Israel, the nation of Israel, currently, modern day Israel, um, and really their mir- miraculous reestablishment or return to the to the land, to the holy land. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at the hatred that goes on towards Israel, and this goes into the anti anti Semitism you talked about earlier. Um it can really only be described in spiritual terms. It really can, because here you take one of the smallest places on the earth, and yet there's more hatred, more venom, more talk about this one tiny place than probably any place on earth. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to think it was interesting, if you take all the pieces of the globe and you push them together, do you know what the center of it is? It's Israel. Wow. And I really do believe that... We are at an apex, a, a turning point in our in our culture. If we do not stand up for Israel, yeah. that we are going to be in big trouble. And so, this is my way, my family's way, and AFA's way of standing up for the people of Israel. And when I brought this idea to your dad, to the leadership, their immediate response was, "Yes, let's do this," because we want to be a loving bridge between. Um, God's people, the Jewish people, and um, the rest of the world, rest yeah. of Christianity. So it's been an amazing journey. It has been. And to your point, we have a program on the weekend hosted by our own John Rowley, mm-hmm. uh, Middle East Report, where he talks about uh, Israel uh, and the news going on there and covers it all from a biblical perspective. Uh, and we have other other programs uh, like Jan Markell's and others that focus on Israel and the importance of, of the nation of Israel. Joy, this book, uh, for our folks listening, this is a one-day offer that we're going to put out there because Joy's hand, her hand is tired. (laughs) She has signed these books today. She signed a certain number of these books, and if you order today, uh, between now and midnight, go ahead and order within the next hour, I would recommend. Uh, Go ahead and order this book. You'll get a signed copy from Joy, So, uh, and and if you... If you order more than she signed, then we'll sign, we'll have her sign more, <laughs> and we'll awesome. we'll prop her hand up so That's she can right. get those signs. So you can go to resources.afa.net. It's right there on the homepage 
on the first column, you can see Joy's book, uh, Priceless Pennies, Rose and Odette, um, Unknown Children, Children of the Holocaust by Joy Lucius. So you can order that. And if you order it today, you'll get a signed copy from our resource center. Joy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited, Walker. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. That's uh, Joy Lucius, one of our staff writers here at American Family Association. And if you get our monthly magazine, the AFA Journal, oftentimes you'll see a feature or some pieces that are uh, of that that are written by Joy Lucius. So you can uh, check that out. But if you want to order the book, today you'll get a signed copy. If you order today, you can go to resources dot afa.net and order and we'll send you a copy we've got a great uh, staff here for our resource center and we get those orders out as quick as we can for you to uh, get to read to share with your family and friends and many of our resources that are that are on our resource center are actually used by sunday school classes Uh, they're used by pastors and by others who want to uh, learn uh, about all kinds of things as it relates to biblical worldview training there in our resource center uh, moving on to a couple of the topics I wanted to talk about, there was uh, a few more examples. Well, there's this one study out of MIT that I really want to highlight, and that is uh, this study out of MIT talks about, um, it really goes into uh, really the, the psychological uh, way that people look at the COVID-19 data. You know, we see all these visualiz- visualizations, all these charts, all these graphs of, of how many people have been vaccinated, how many people are getting sick, how many are being hospitalized. I mean, it's almost information overload. But the, the MIT study here that I'm citing, and this is directly from MIT.edu, uh, the gentleman who from MIT that posted it, his name is Daniel Ackerman, and there were many other uh, people who participated in the study. But basically, the conclusion of it was that there's not necessarily misinformation being spread when it comes to the coronavirus. It's that people are simply drawing their own conclusions about the same data sets. These, uh, the people that the Biden administration, they're describing them as, you know, people spreading misinformation and vaccine hesitancy. Those people are not posting false information necessarily. They're posting information, the same information that is coming from the CDC, coming from all these official accounts, uh, but, but different people have a different take of the information. For example, some people may look at information and, and it may, one data set may cause someone concern and the other person says, well, that's good news. And so it's all about how people are interpreting the data. But the MIT study basically concludes that we don't really have a deep problem with misinformation and with people spreading falsehoods online, we just have worldview differences. We have ideological differences where people look at circumstances, they look at situations, they look at what's going on in our country, not just related to the COVID uh, pandemic, but other things, and people draw different conclusions based on their worldview. That was a very, very interesting MIT study uh, published just uh, here recently Reading from directly from it, I'm on the last pages of this uh, a study or this press release put out by MIT. One of the people participating with the last name of Jones, uh, he says that anti-mask groups' idea of science is not listening is not listening passively as experts at at a place like MIT tell everyone else what to believe. He adds that this kind of behavior marks a new turn for an old cultural current. 
and he calls these this group that he's studying anti-maskers. And he says, anti-maskers' use of data literacy reflects deep-seated American values of self-reliance and anti-expertise that date back to the founding of the country. But their online activities push those values into new arenas of public life. He goes on to say that uh, anti-maskers see the pandemic differently using data that is quite similar. He goes on to say, I think that I think data analyst analysis is important, but it's certainly not the salve that I thought it was in terms of convincing people who who believe that the scientific establishment is not trustworthy. So very interesting there. Basically, we have two sides of America with two different worldviews, and that's why we all look at the same information, the same data, and draw and draw different conclusions. So that's interesting there. Um, also, and then we'll wrap up this topic because you're probably tired of it. But uh, this, this, these two studies that I, other studies that I wanted to mention, uh, one is out of Israel, another one is out of the UK. But you know, we were told in the early days of of the vaccine being produced and the vaccine being distributed uh, that that the studies that were being done at the time were showing a roughly ninety percent efficacy or a ninety percent effective rate, meaning that they work 90% of the time, somewhere around 90, depending on what study you looked at. Well, Israel is is really leaning on this Pfizer vaccine, and they're doing their own studies because many, the vast majority of, of the, the adults in Israel are vaccinated. Uh, Israel has been taking this very serious. They, they've been locked down for months and months. Uh, it's hard to actually get into Israel at this point still. And they were still having outbreaks of the coronavirus. So they, their health ministry began doing their own studies about the efficacy of specifically the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. And Israel is saying that it's 64% effective based on their latest studies. And so the only reason I mention that is because this science, this, these studies are still being done. This is not settled. You know, there may, there may be some parts of science that are settled about such as the earth not being flat, um, but, but this, this, uh, vac- these vaccines have only been out uh, for widespread use for, since December uh, of, of, 2020, uh, of 2020. So uh, to act like this is a settled discussion, no one can question it, and, uh, and we just need to move on and accept what the study showed six months ago, uh, that's just not a fair way of looking at it. Another uh, study shows, this is out of the UK, uh, that up to 40% of people being admitted to hospitals there have been fully vaccinated. Um, and they, they're having serious issues there. And 60% of the people admitted uh, have not been vaccinated. So that means that 40% of people being put in the hospital in the UK have been fully vaccinated. So there's something, uh, some, something going on there where those vaccines, in certain areas at least, are not showing a 90% efficacy rate uh, that we were told about months ago. Moving on to some other stories I wanted to mention. Uh, I, I got this long clip, but I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I play it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this. This is Stacey Abrams out of Georgia talking about calling uh, the GOP authoritarian. I mentioned this yesterday, wasn't able to play the clip. Let's listen to Stacey Abrams. Starting in Georgia to reduce access to the right to vote for inconvenient voters, voters of color, young people, disabled voters, elderly voters, poor voters, largely targeting communities of color that outperformed in the 2020 and 2021 runoffs here in Georgia. 
And, you know, everyone seems to understand that we think in the Democratic Party, which is the party that, you know, that is the, the, the preferred choice of the majority of voters of color. And yet, despite the fact that you have fellow Democratic senators in Georgia doing a field hearing today, you know, Kirsten Sinema is tweeting about how much she loves and respects John Lewis. I mean, I will uh, echo Michael Harriet, who said well, it's a sure funny way of showing that he's your hero by not reflecting any of the things that he believes in. Um, and Bishop Barber said the same thing, called it shameful to claim you honor John Lewis um, while you block the work that he's trying to do. And Harriet also pointed out that it was difficult to find in Googling uh, Miss Kirsten Sinema's background any note uh, of her having revered John Lewis. What do you make of the Democrats who love to quote John Lewis the way people quote Dr. King, but are literally doing absolutely nothing because S1 ain't gonna pass as long as Sinema and Manchin refuse to change the filibuster? Well, I think that we have to recognize there are two layers to this challenge. The first layer and the successful layer was getting 50 Democratic senators on the record supporting a version of the For the People Act that can affect these laws and can save our democracy. The second step then is what do we do mechanically to make it happen? I believe that the first step is either a carve out to the, the filibuster or a reduction in the threshold or to returning it to its original form, which is the talking filibuster. And so I do call on every single senator, both those who have declared out loud that they oppose the that they want to support the filibuster and those who are being quiet about it, that this is a time for action. That yes, we, we appreciate your reverence for and your respect for John Lewis and the work of saving democracy, but now is the urgent time for action. What happened in Texas, what's happening right now, what will happen in Ohio, what will happen in North Carolina, what will happen in Pennsylvania, is not endemic to the South. It is endemic to authoritarians who do not want to see inconvenient voters cast their ballots and speak their minds. And All that right, well, has to there be you the have call it. to arms. There you have Stacey Abrams out of Georgia calling Republicans who are passing voter integrity bills at the latter end of that clip authoritarians. And in the beginning of it, she was talking about John Lewis, the late congressman. And she was even criticizing her own Democrats, including Kirsten Sinema out of Arizona, about how if she doesn't toe the party line and vote for this S-1, this basically uh, a hijacking of our elections by the federal government, if, if all Democrats, including Sinema, don't vote for that, well, then she's not being loyal to John Lewis, the late John Lewis. And then Stacey Abrams, as I mentioned, calls Republicans authoritarian. It's the Democrats, as I mentioned yesterday, who have authoritarian beliefs. They want to deplatform and cancel all Americans that they disagree with that they disagree with on a worldview ideological level. We'll be back in a few minutes. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. 
Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. Did you know that over 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade? Every single one of these babies' lives was dear and precious. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing women considering abortion to their precious preborn baby. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Can you help a brother out? Do you remember when Jesus first met Peter? It started with Jesus telling him to cast his net out on the other side. And as a result, Peter had more fish than he knew what to do with. The same thing happened toward the end of Jesus' time on earth. Peter, at Jesus' command, caught so much fish that he once again had to ask his friends to help him bring in the catch. I suspect that Jesus many times orchestrates our lives in such a way that we have to ask our brothers and sisters to help us out. That is the power of unity. It reminds us that we can do exponentially more together than we can individually and apart. Do you feel called to something great but it feels overwhelming? Instead of complaining, seek where God may be calling you to unite with other brothers and sisters in the work. I'm Gil Michelle, pastor of That Church Downtown in South Bend, Indiana, for OneCry.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with us for this last segment. I want to remind you again, if you ordered Joy Lucius's book today, we'll send you a signed copy. This book is an excellent story uh, about two sisters during the Holocaust and the name of it is Priceless Pennies, Rose and Odette, Unknown Children of the Holocaust by our very own Joy Lucius. And so if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can see the book here that I have in my hand, published by American Family Association. Uh, it's highly recommended uh, by many people, including myself, Dr. Michael Brown, Ed Vitagliano, who works here as a vice president of AFA. So excellent book. If you order today, Joy has signed some copies that we will send to you. If you order today, you can go to resources.afa.net, resources.afa.net, and we will be glad to ship you a copy of that book uh, if you order one. And if you order today, as I mentioned, it'll come signed. Yesterday, I predicted or uh, threw out a theory uh, that it could be that the Democrats and the White House are putting all this pressure on 
these major tech companies, including Facebook and Twitter and Google, that they are putting pressure on them regarding this misinformation as basically a way to extort or blacklist them. Meaning that if, if the big tech companies don't comply with what the, the, the Biden White House calls misinformation and deplatforms people because of that, then the Democrats are going to use other means to go after these companies to force their capitulation. And I find an article published just today that Senator Amy Klobuchar is introducing a bill that would make social media companies liable if they don't take down what the Democrats call misinformation, what they don't call, uh, what they, what they, what they call misinformation. And so that's it. That's what I believe is going on here. Anytime the Democrats say they want to break up big tech and they're concerned about antitrust issues, I believe they're just doing that as a way to force these companies to fully comply and be in the pocket of the Democrat party even more uh, than they already are, and they really are in the pocket of the Democrat Party. I call it the Democratic Party apparatus, and the apparatus includes the political class, uh, the economic class, the the economic elites, the major Fortune 100 companies that are always touting the talking points of the Democrat Party. Uh, that's the second part of the apparatus, and the third part is uh, these companies in the mainstream media, all working hand in hand to carry out the policy agenda of the Democrat Party. It's a pretty concerning place that we are as a country, that we're, that we're at as a country. Speaking of a concerning place that we are at, um, or, or that we are, this is out of Israel. This is a story uh, that, that originated out of Israel, meaning that's where it, uh, the, story, the basis of the story was, was, was began or was started. And many, many media outlets are working on this story, and it's a pretty fascinating yet a creepy story about surveillance, about surveillance tools that are apparently out there, that are apparently out there for foreign governments and others to use. This uh, scandal is called the Pegasus Scandal, the Pegasus Scandal, P-E-G-A-S-U-S. There's this Israeli-based group that produces all kind of different tools and cyber tools for governments and agencies. They're called the NSO, NSO Group. Here's the headline out of BBC, and this, is, this story is going around multiple news outlets, so this has been corroborated. The allegations that spy software known as Pegasus may have been used to carry out surveillance on journalists, activists, and even perhaps political leaders highlights that that surveillance is now for sale. The story goes on to say that the company behind the tool, NSO Group, out of Israel, they've denied these allegations and say its customers are carefully assessed. But we move on here in the story, and it says, in the not-too-distant past, if a security service wanted to find out what you were up to, it it took a fair degree of effort. They might get a warrant to wiretap your phone, They might plant a bug in your house or send a surveillance team to follow you. Finding out who your contacts were and how you lived your life would take patience and time. Now, almost everything they might want to know, what what you say, where you have been, who you met, even what interests you, is all contained in a device we carry all the time. Your phone can be assessed or accessed remotely without anyone even touching it and you never knowing that it's been turned from your friendly digital assistant 
into someone else's spy. Uh, the last paragraph that I've that I've pulled here says that the ability to remotely access that phone was once considered something only a few states could do. But high-end espionage and surveillance powers are now in the hands of many other countries and even individuals and small groups. So this is a fascinating story, and it goes through how this Israeli tool put out and produced by this company called NSO Group, according to BBC and other media outlets, this tool has basically gone from being used from a major Israel Israeli ally countries used to track down terrorists to now being used widely by many countries to go after not just terrorists or lawbreakers, but even journalists and political dissidents in countries all across the world. Here's a breakdown of who these outlets have confirmed that have been had their devices infected by this spy software and this is not specific names per se this is just groups of people uh, the, the, these outlets and these people who are studying this have concluded that 64 business executives around the world have had their phones infected 85 human rights activists have had their phones infected 600 plus politicians slash government officials have had their phones breached, 189 journalists, and a total of 50,000 phone numbers were in this database. That doesn't mean those phone numbers were necessarily breached or compromised. It just means that they were on the list to review by people using this software, by companies and governments using this software. So that's pretty concerning there. And what I'm beginning to believe, and this is probably going to be borne out if it hasn't, if it's not already, is that the, really the only true uh, privacy uh, that we have now in the 21st century, in 2021, is if you're completely detached from the Internet. Uh, that's really the only way to ensure uh, that your conversations, uh, that what you do on the Internet is private, is if you just disengage uh, from the internet, that's really the only way to ensure privacy. And you know, people uh, some uh, sometimes you know people get made a fun of who keep paper copies of everything, and, and and I myself sometimes just keep a paper copy of something. And you know, everybody is moving towards PDFs and the digital age and digital archiving documents, and it's all con a matter of convenience. Uh, but it's it's really turning to be at, to tur it's turning out that. Really, the best way to store sensitive information, whether it be your bank accounts or your social security number or even the government storing sensitive information, is for it to be uh, only kept as a physical copy under lock and key. That is the traditional way of doing it before technology, and it turns out that might end up being the best way to keep things private that you don't want out on the Internet or being surveilled. Uh, so that's a pretty fascinating story. More stuff will come out on that. That uh, uh, investigation just broke here in the past week, and uh, I'll keep keep an eye on that, and we'll circle back to that, or we'll uh, we'll revisit that, if you will. This is uh, out of another story out of Breitbart. You know, AFA on at least one or two occasions has highlighted some of the uh, dangers and the issues with some of the videos that were put out uh, by Netflix. 
And we had this series put out a couple years ago that really glorified teen suicide. And it painted teen suicide in a positive light. And AFA raised alarms and concerns about that. Netflix has also been criticized for putting out other uh, videos and documentaries and movies that are morally objectionable. And many of us wondered if, if, if our efforts were having any kind of effect on Netflix. Well, this is just out uh, uh, today. Netflix said in the last quarter, in the last three months, that it has lost 430,000 subscribers domestically. This is just for uh, the U.S. For this three-month period, they lost 430,000 subscribers. In the United States, the first time it has bled subscribers in two years. Uh, the last time it bled subscribers is when it lost 100,000 subscribers during the second quarter of 2019. And the Wall Street notes that they view subscriptions as a key indica- indicator of Netflix's financial health because it is the best gauge of the company's future cash flow because they are a subscription-based service Another interesting angle from this story, not necessarily related to Netflix having objectionable content, but this, what I'm going to read here, I'll just go ahead and read it, and then I'll comment. This is from the same news article regarding Netflix. For this same quarter that we're talking about, the last three months, Netflix reported global subscriber growth of 1.54 million, the vast majority of which came from Asia. That represents a significant slowdown from last year when the company rocketed to new subscribers' heights due to the Chinese coronavirus pandemic. The reason I mention that is because of the first sentence I read there about the vast majority of these new subscribers on Netflix coming from Asia. Well, what's in Asia? China. And the reason I mention that is because I think this is, this is one of our biggest struggles when it comes to America and our national security and our economic independence and being able to protect our national security, to keep an upper hand on China and their technological and military advances, one of our biggest challenges is that major companies, major globalist companies, they are eager and they are hungry for the Chinese market. They are hungry for the Chinese market. Why? Because there's billions of people in China. And that's a potential for uh, millions and billions in revenue should you be able to get Chinese customers. And the reason that's relevant is because China, the government, they control every piece of information that comes into the country via the Internet. China does not allow things that they do not like into the country on the Internet. If you talk negatively towards the government, you will be taken down. If you say anything that the government deems as inappropriate, you will be taken down. And so these companies, especially these American companies, need to be very careful about cozying up to China all for the sake of getting access to the Chinese market because before they know it, they will be 100% beholden to China. 
And if companies don't dance with the Chinese, well, they will be blocked from the Chinese market. And that, in my opinion, is a national security concern. And speaking of China, you know, more and more evidence, and we, we knew this uh, months and months ago, even probably a year ago, about the likelihood that the, the entire COVID pandemic originated from a lab in Wuhan, China. I read a story yesterday that even the Biden White House is now admitting internally uh, that the lab came uh, or that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Well, who is going to hold China accountable? I think it is it is it is dangerous. It is irresponsible for America and all of our allies to move on from this pandemic and where it originated without knowing for certain did this virus get released whether incidentally or purposefully from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Did China release the virus intentionally? We deserve to know that. Because this 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 virus has caused untold damage to lives, literal it has literally cost lives, millions of lives around the world. It has cost trillions of trillions of dollars in economic damage to many of, of the Chinese um, non-allies. Many of the countries that are competitors to China have been economically damaged from this pandemic in a major way. And there are many scientists and, and people who study epidemics and national security issues, and they say if this were a bioweapon, it was the perfect bioweapon because of the damage it did to the world. And now we see the the GDP and the economic surveys that show China is advancing. China is taking up all these trade routes, all these trade opportunities, and bypassing America in many instances. So did the lab get released from, or did the virus get released from the lab? We deserve to know that. We'll be back tomorrow with more of AFA at the core. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.